Hello, welcome to the Colcast. I am your host, Chris Collins. It is February the 9th, a very cold and crisp day here in North Wales, sunny North Wales, and um, not had a podcast for a couple of weeks. Apologies for that, it's been a bit hectic. If I've not been working my nine to five, I've been teaching kickboxing, I've been helping some of my teammates get ready for upcoming competitions and fights that they've got. And it's been a bit of a crazy time, basically. So just not had a spare hour or so to do the podcast. I do apologise for that again. But as a treat, you will get one today, which is breaking down some of the previous events that have gone on over the last week or so. And having a quick look ahead to the UFC tonight. And then there'll be another one tomorrow, having a look at all the news events over the last few weeks and upcoming fights for next weekend. So... Double header this weekend, double header, I've made sure I've got the free time to do it and we will carry on as normal going forward at least one a week. It's just been a bit crazy over the last few weeks so I do apologise again for the third time, not apologising again, three times is enough for you all. So let's go into it, without further ado, let's have a look at what happened last weekend and last weekend we obviously had uh, the UFC in Brazil, it was the second ESPN card Bit of a, to be honest, on paper, average card, watching it live, very, very fun card, very fun indeed. I won't go too much into detail, but we will have a look at the main card. Kicked off the main card with uh, pretty much Johnny Walker and Justin Ledet. Johnny Walker, Justin Ledet, you all had a suspicion of what was going to happen. Johnny Walker with a very impressive debut early on in the knees, early on in the knees, early on in the year where he knocked out his opponent with knees and elbows and all sorts of things up against the cage. It was nasty. Um, and Justin, to be fair, Justin Ledet's quite talented. He's had a, a few decent performances in the UFC, but I thought he was going to get knocked out. I didn't think it was going to happen in 15 seconds. It did happen in 15 seconds. Johnny Walker is a scary man. He will get what should be a bigger name in his next fight, but I'm hoping the UFC doesn't do what they like to do and throw him to the wolves straight away. Specifically, being that he is in the light heavyweight division where mm, gets a bit tricky because there's not a lot of top flight fighters in that division, not called Gustafsson, Jones or Cormier. So the right thing to do would be to bring Johnny Walker up slowly. I think he needs a, a slightly bigger name in his next outing, but you can't have someone on the debt's skill level because... 15 seconds, he was too easy for him. Way too easy. Very impressive. Johnny Walker looking like the scary man he is. He continues on at 2.05. Charles Oliveira. So he picked up a very impressive win over David Taymor. David Taymor, I spoke about him not too long ago. And the fact that he was on quite uh, quite an impressive run, actually. And it wasn't really being paid attention to enough. And I did think that maybe Taymor could cause Oliveira some problems in this, but Oliveira wasn't having it. Oliveira has been looking frightening recently. He's having a bit of a career birth or career rebirth, especially at weight class 155. And, you know, the way that he... T- David Taymor is an excellent striker. The way that he set up the submission, he was lighting Taymor up like a Christmas tree. He took it to the ground and, and finished it there in the second round and... Oliveira, you know, he means business. He needs a top 10 name now in his next fight. There's been talks of him and Kevin Lee. That would be a fantastic fight. Kevin Lee, 
Kevin Lee, it probably would be a perfect fight with Kevin Lee's last performance against Ally Aquinto was a bit disappointing for him, so it would be a good opportunity for Kevin Lee to get himself back in the winning ranks, and Oliveira would be a very, very good opportunity for him to knock off a ranked opponent and get himself into the top five and push him for a title shot this year. Damian Meyer and Lyman Good, it was going to go one way or the other this fight. Damian Meyer's ran on rough times recently. Tyron Woodley beat him in their title fight not too long ago, set the blueprint out for how to beat Damian Meyer, which Colby Covington um, followed right after him, and then Kamara Usman followed just after him. And Lyman Good was either going to follow that blueprint or what was going to happen was what happened. And that was Damian Meyer picking up a very quick submission in round one. Damian Meyer is going to do what Damian Meyer does. Even in his early 40s, he's looking brilliant. He doesn't take too much damage in his fights. Um, the, the, the last few aside, the, the rough run that he's had, and he could carry on for as long as he wants to carry on, to be honest, Damian Meyer. The way that he fights is... He's very practical for his style. It's very practical for his health. And there's nothing really more to say. He, just, he looked very good. He looked very good. Showed that he still got it. He's still a top contender. Lyman Good's very unheralded. Former Bellator champion. Um, was knocked off his throne by a man called Ben Askren. You might have heard of him. And it, it was a very impressive win for Damian Meyer. He keeps himself relevant at 170. Should get a, a top 10 opponent next. And we'll see if he can... Maybe stick around at the top, maybe even build up towards another title title shot or, or at least a number one contender's fight. Who knows? Co-main event was Jose Aldo and Renato Moicano. Renato Moicano was expected to steamroll Jose Aldo. I don't understand why people were talking like that. Jose Aldo is far from done. His only losses are to Conor McGregor, which, let's face it, was a flash-in-the-pan knockout, and Max Holloway twice. Max Holloway is... Fantastic. He's in the prime of his career and he's one of the very, very best in the world for pound for pound at the moment. So nothing to hang your head on, nothing to be ashamed about. Jose Aldo still beating the best of the best of that weight class. What he did to Jeremy Stevens with that nasty body shot in his last fight was oh still hurts me when I go to the toilet watching that one. And this one wasn't too dissimilar. Landed a nice body shot, which kind of was the beginning for the end for Moicano. Joey Aldo has a very, he has a very good ability to smell blood. When his opponents hurt, he he knows and he manages to to rush in exactly the right style. It looks like he's brawling. It looks like he's being really untechnical, but you watch him closely. He's just got. He's a predator. He's a predator. He knows when people are hurt. He knows when he needs to go for the juggler, and it it paid off. He, he gave Moicano all that he could handle. Pretty much had him out on his feet. Moicano contested the stoppage, but he was a good stoppage. Um, he would have just took more punishment. And Jose Aldo is two on the bounce now. I still think Jose Aldo needs to move up to lightweight. I think he needs to stop draining himself, trying to get down to the featherweight limit. I think he'd have a career rebirth at lightweight. I really do. He's a big name. He'd get a big fight right off the bat. He could even get a title shot of a win or two. I think that's the move for him. He seems reluctant to do that for some reason. I don't know why. So if he stays at 145, expect a big fight for him next time out. Maybe Frankie Edgar wouldn't make sense because he's already beaten Frankie Edgar enough times. He wouldn't get a title shot, not why Holloway is champion. We've seen that fight twice. We know exactly how that fight goes. Interesting. There's a couple of options, but for me, 155 is a future. But if he stays at 145, he's still a top contender. Great win anyway. Looked really impressive. Josie Aldo, still a champion going nowhere.
And now moving on to the main event. I apologise, my microphone just cut out then because apparently I've not charged it. That's how organised I am. Anyway, moving on to the main event. It was Marlon Moraes and Rafael Asuncao, the eagerly anticipated rematch between these two guys. Very, very close fight that they had in Marlon Moraes's UFC debut a couple of years back. A lot of people thought that Marlon Moraes shaded that fight, me included. Rafael Asuncao picked up the split decision, though. This time round, it was a lot different. Marlon Moraes dropped him, submitted him. Round one, done and dusted. Thank you very much and good night. He is your number one contender now at 135 without a shadow of a doubt. A Sun Tzu hasn't been finished in, I want to say, about eight years. And Marlon Moraes made it look easy. He really is just... We knew his quality when he was in the World Series of Fighting. We knew how good he was, how many times he defended his belt over there. He came over, he had a tough first fight against Rafael Asuncao, put it down to his UFC debut or nerves or whatever it was, but first time in the big show, he can be forgiven. Gave Asuncao all he could handle, and Asuncao's a top three, top four, maybe fighter in the world at 135. And after that, he was just off to the, he was off to the big show for him, wasn't it? He, he was just picking up win after win against top contender after top contender, knocking out Jimmy Rivera in quick fashion. It's just an unbelievable run that he's on at the moment at 135, full of confidence. Called out TJ Dillashaw after the fight. We don't know what's going to happen at that weight class. There's still a lot to be sorted between what's going on with Henry Cejudo and TJ after their title fight at the last pay-per-view, 233 for the, for the flyweight title. But, He's definitely there, number one at 135, and he, he's definitely made himself an, an unavoidable option. So props to him. Fantastic, fantastic performance. Only other thing to mention um, was what happened at Bellator. So Bellator, it was the uh, Bellator 214. It was the final of the Grand Prix, um, and that was a final between Fedor Emelianenko and Ryan Bader. Ryan Bader is now champ champ over at Bellator, light heavyweight and heavyweight, after he absolutely starched Fedor in about, I want to say about 30 seconds with, um, I don't really know how to describe it, it's like a weird, it's, it's like a jab but a hook but a level change all in one. It's a bit of a it's a bit of an odd punch. I've never seen anything like it before, but it's obviously working. He he kind of landed it in his last fight as well in the semi-final and he definitely landed it in this one because he he put Fedor out with one shot. It was an unbelievable um knockout. Apologies about that noise in the background. That's my dog trying to scratch his his neck in the background. You right there, Harry? He's Poor thing. He's uh, he's just been neutered recently. He's no bollocks anymore. Comb around his head, feeling sorry for himself, looking at me like he doesn't know what's going on. So I've got a massive pair of headphones on, big netty microphone in front of my face. Bless him. But apologies if you hear any noise in the background. That's just uh, that's just Harry, my dog, my uh, half Cairn Terrier, half something else that we don't know. Just making himself comfortable. Back to the fights. Ryan Bader, anyway, knocked out Fedor in one punch. Didn't really need a follow-up, although he did land a, a nasty follow-up punch after that, which wasn't great for Fedor's mental health. And it's difficult to know what you really do with Fedor now. He's never 
he's well past his prime. He's never going to beat the guys that are in the prime, such as your Ryan Baders. Um, he, he obviously had a, a tough debut in Bellator against Matt Mitrione as well. It could have gone either way if, if, if Fado would have landed that punch before Mitrione landed his in that fight. You know, it would have been completely different. But he, he's clearly past his prime, but he's still picking up wins. You know, he, he beat Frank Mir. He beat Chael Sonnen. I know they're well past their best as well, but he's still got a little bit to offer. I could see him taking another couple of fights um, in Bellator before he rides off into the sunset as well. He's he's bobbing on now. I think he is in his 40s. If not, he's in his, his late, late 30s. And, you know, he's he's in the sunset of his career, isn't he? But there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of getting knocked out by Ryan Bader in the final. He's made it to the final. He picked up two good wins, like I say. And Ryan Bader's just in his prime at the moment. 35, 36 years old. Never been better. And he's a powerhouse, isn't he? He's going to take some stopping. For Ryan Bader, I don't know what you do with him either because is there anything better than beating Fedor Emelianenko, the living legend, to gain champ champ status in the sport of MMA? I don't think there is. He's he's on another level now. He's he's just gone from strength to strength since he left the UFC and I don't know what's at light heavyweight for him or really what's at heavyweight for him. There are a couple of options. There's a few people that you can fight. You could do a few money fights. Um, there's been the likes of Chael Sonnen calling him out and, and Tito Ortiz and people like that. If you wanted to go down that road, you can do what he wants. He's champ champ. He's, he's earned it. He showed that he can beat the big boys. You can't have people out there saying that he's avoiding anyone. He's most certainly not. He's fought the creme de la creme over at Bellator. and Just not enough good things to say about Ryan Bader. He's... He's at the top of his game at the moment. He was a, another fantastic performance, albeit only being about 30 seconds. Henry Corrales and Aaron Pico. Oh. I don't like seeing anyone get knocked out like that, especially when you're 22 years old. But Aaron Pico's going to live and die by the sword. He hurt Corrales early with that monster right uppercut, and then he just went in for the kill on the feet. Now, with experience, if you if we were talking about a 27-year-old Aaron Pico, would he have maybe took him to the ground and pounded him out? Probably, maybe. He's got to learn these lessons for himself, though. You know, it's not a great loss to take. It's not a great loss at all at any point of your career to get knocked out the way that he did. But he was living dangerously in there. He tried to tie him up in the clinch. They were both landing shot for shot, trying to land heavy lever. One of them trying to put each other out. Pico was going for the knockout, trying to be entertaining. And Henry Corrales just landed the right hand that came from the dawn of time, all the way from his fucking hips, over, arched over his own body, directly onto Aaron Pico's chin like a fucking missile. And Pico was out before he even hit the floor. It happens even the best of them get caught, even the best. I always, when situations come up like this, I always reference George St. Pierre, Matt Serra. I fight that Matt Serra was never supposed to win, but if you land the right punch at the right time, it changes the whole complexion of a fight. And that's what Henry Corrales did. And Henry Corrales now is back in title contention. He's he's not back the formidable young rising star in Aaron Pico. And he should be spoken about as a number one or maybe being involved in a one contender fight going forward. For Pico, it's not quite back to the drawing board. I wouldn't feed him the calibre of opponents that he's had so far. I wouldn't knock him back too far, but I'd maybe take him down a step from the likes of Henry Corrales. Give him someone who's going to test him, or on paper should test him, 
but let's build him up again. You know, let's get him on a, another two, three, four fight winning streak before we try and set him up with a with a Corrales or someone at the top of that division, Bellator again, and and we'll just see if we can keep building up his experience and. At this stage of Pico's career, it's about making the right choices at the right times. In Pico's mind, he had him hurt and he just rushed him for a finish. With a couple more years and a couple more fights, that could change. He could change his whole outlook, his decision-making in there, you know, when the chaos is going on. His ability to do that is going to get a lot better in that moment. He just got caught. There's nothing else you can say about it. He got caught. He's still world-class. He's still very, very likely to be a world champion at the weight class um, and even at weight classes above, you know, a lightweight, etc. So have a look out for Aaron Pico in the future. I feel very sorry for his next opponent. Elsewhere on that card, you had uh, the former rescuer, 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 I don't even know what that is. It's like a wrestler and a rescuer at the same time. Former WWE wrestler, Jake Hager, defeated J.W. Kaiser. J.W. Kaiser doesn't really have any... Right to be a top MMA promotion, not to be mean. But Bellator did the right thing here. Jake Hager, you know, making his debut in the big leagues. You need to give him an opponent like a JW Kaiser to see exactly where he is. Um, He, he threatened to get clocked early, but he, he weathered that particular sort of little storm and just did what we knew he could do. He's an excellent wrestler. He's got a, a very extensive wrestling um, background, Jake Hager, before he went into the world of fake wrestling, WWE. Got the fight down to the ground um, and got an arm triangle choke two minutes in. Impressive, didn't take too much damage. We should be able to see him again soon, um, hopefully against another opponent along those level, along that level um, of skill. You know, he needs a, another two, three fights and then you can start talking about pairing him up with the more experienced names in the heavyweight division there. But good debut, very good debut. Did what he was supposed to do. Congratulations, Jake Hager. Otherwise, on the card, it wasn't... Great. There wasn't an awful lot of. I mean, entertaining fights all the way down the card. It's just not very many household names. Um, the bantamweight fight between uh, Juan Arcoleta and Ricky Bendejas was very entertaining. Um, Juan Arcoleta picking up a, a unanimous decision in that fight. It was very very close. Um, and very competitive all the way through. Though you know he was trying to land. Juan was trying to land takedowns. And get the fight into his world. Um, Ricky Bandejas, as as we know, is a nasty striker. He was landing shots and hurting Juan throughout the fight. He was very entertaining back and forth, but Juan did just enough to to pick up the decision there. So props to him. Very well done. Very impressive fight for him. And he will move forward now in the bantamweight division in Bellator. Okie dokie, mate. Right, let's get into the... I don't know where that came from, sorry. I just felt like putting an Aussie accent on for a second. Let's get into the fights this weekend. So we have the big UK event, Bellator Newcastle. And that is coming up uh, tonight. I wonder what time that starts, actually. Let me just have a look on my laptop here. Uh, But Bellator Newcastle starts at... I should probably be a bit more specific with what I'm Googling instead of just putting Bellator Newcastle. Bellator Newcastle at start time. Uh, it takes place this Saturday night, February the 9th for the Metro Radio Arena in Newcastle upon Tyne, England. The local start time for the main card is 10pm. So that is 10pm tonight and that is British time. 
So that'll be on in the early afternoon over in the States. Um, if you're watching from Australia or anywhere in that area of the world, you're looking at early morning. But that is a very entertaining fight card. The main card specifically showing off the best of the UK. A lot of um, solid UK talent on there. I'll just have a look at the main card. You've got a lightweight bout kicking off the card between Terry Brazier and Chris Bungard. Um, Terry Brazier, the London lad, um, he's been... How do I put this? He's been very impressive. Um, he's very well-rounded. You know, he, he picks up a, a fair amount of... A fair amount of finishes across the board, whether they're knockouts and submissions. Um, he's been to decision a few times. He's, I think he's unbeaten now, going back to two thousand and might be two thousand and fourteen. Um, he's he's picked up nine straight wins anyway. He's he's carrying a lot of momentum into this fight. Um, against Chris Bungard, you know, he's 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 the one with the confidence. He's the one with more confidence, and he's the more well-rounded of the two. Chris Bungard, however, though Scottish lad, he. He's not the. He's not at the best of goes in his last few fights, um. He even though he's picked up four out of five wins, you know the, the Colin Fletcher loss was in the middle of that run, um. And Colin Fletcher's not to be horrible to Colin Fletcher, but he's not a world beater at lightweight. You know Colin Fletcher, you may remember, um, was in the UFC a long, long time ago. Was a a, a tough alum. And didn't have the best runs in the UFC before he was dropped. Um, he every time he gets a a, a half decent lightweight uh, across the cage from him, you know you're talking like the likes of Andre Winner. He's he's fought Norman Park. He's fought Mike Ricci. He's usually on the losing end. So for me, this one's a simple one. Chris Bungard, very decent lightweight, but never going to be a world beater. Terry Brazier, on the other hand, nine fight win streak. Going back four or five years, full of confidence, very well rounded. I think Terry Brazier probably picks up a win here. I'm going to say second round submission. Moving on then to middleweight and a very mouth watering clash between Lee Chadwick and Fabian Edwards. Lee Chadwick, the scouser, he's uh, 24, 13, and 1. So that tells you again the story of this fight. It's the savvy veteran against the frightening and coming youthful um, phenom, let's say. Lee Chadwick, though, he's, again, he's he's very well-rounded. He's he's just been there and done it, and he's been doing it for a long time, especially in the UK circuit. But the, the tale of this fight is, not to be disrespectful to Lee Chadwick, but the, the tale of this fight is how talented Fabian Edwards is. And Fabian Edwards is a monster. He's a monster. Leon Edwards, his brother's fighting in the UFC. He's making um he's making waves in the UFC welterweight division. He's obviously fighting on the UFC London card that's coming up soon. And, and Fabian is not a long way away from, you know, joining maybe the UFC in the future and being a big star at middleweight. He's you've seen the best of him in Bellator as well, whether it's you know, flying knockouts and he's just a nasty striker. I've I saw Fabian once. Um, in person, I was I was going up to Leeds for one of my mates' fights. He was supposed to be making a he's supposed to be making his his debut for that promotion, 
for a flyweight title fight. It, it fell out at the last minute. But we went up there anyway just to go and see the fights. And we did have another teammate fighting on that card um, in, in a middleweight fight themselves. And Fabian was cornering one of the other guys across the cage. And he's even... The, He's just got like an aura around him. He's massive for the weight class. He's just a scary looking guy. You know, he's going to... There's not going to be a lot of stopping him, I don't think. Especially at the level that he's fighting at in Bellator. And I can't see anything other than a first round knockout here. Um, he might even be... You know, he's got submissions on his on his record. Particularly, you know, in his amateur days. He's very well-rounded, Fabian, extremely well-rounded, extremely dangerous everywhere. I, He's more than capable of picking up a submission. I think he knocks out Lee Chadwick in one, though. I don't think there's much more to say uh, in that. Not to not look at Lee Chadwick and what he's accomplished in his career, but Fabian, unbeaten. I can't see Lee Chadwick being the one that puts the one on his record. Aaron Chalmers. So, Aaron Chalmers, we know why he's here. The former reality TV star, the... Um, home hometown hero in this one, Bellator Newcastle, and Bellator are doing a great job with Aaron Chalmers. You know, he is he's at the level that he's at. He's pretty much a beginner. He's gotten a lot better in every fight that we've seen him. He's now four and zero, and he's been brought along at the right pace, and he's been given the right opponents for for each step and each um each test that he passes. And this is another interesting one. That's another step up in Corey Browning. So Aaron Chalmers, you know what you're going to get. He's a quick starter. He runs across the cage and he tries to knock your fucking head off your shoulders. And that is what Aaron Chalmers does. And we love it and we respect it. In Corey Browning, though, Browning, you know, Browning was meant to be a sacrificial lamb when he was given to Baby Slice uh, a couple of years. I think that was a couple of years ago now, that, that fight. And he ended up submitting Baby Slice. Yeah, he, and he's been brought in for the same reason here again. And I don't think it's just necessarily a fact that it's a walk in the park for Aaron. It's going to be a bit of a test, I think. I think it will make out of the first round. And everyone's saying that Aaron's going to knock him out in one. I, I think Corey deserves more credit. I think he's quite a, a well-rounded fighter. I think he'll have enough about him to weather the storm. And I'm going to say that Chalmers finally gets a bit of experience under his belt. He goes a full three rounds. He gets to show off his full game that he's been working so hard on and that he picks up a unanimous decision win. I think he'll be the better fighter throughout, but I just think Corey's uh, the step up that he needs um, in order to give him the test that, that he needs at, at this stage. You know, It's his fifth fight in his career, professional fight. And I think it is about time that Aaron gets a bit of a test and gets some experience, some, some cage time under his belt. I'm going to say that he picks up a unanimous decision win, maybe a 30-27 or 29-28, maybe Corey Shea's one of the rounds, but I don't think it's going to be the fast knockout that everyone um, that everyone says it's going to be. Not saying that Aaron doesn't have the power in his hands and the ability to knock him out. He's been very impressive so far in his career, but yeah, I think it's going to be a, a lot more even than people think. I think Corey will be able to, to push him in areas that he's not been pushed before. And that brings us on to the main event. And it hurts me to say this, but we will look at Ryan Scope first. So Ryan Scope, highly talented uh, fighter at Sunderland. He's only one in his career now, but he's had a bit of a struggle in the last few years just because of inactivity. He's he's just not had enough fights um, in the last few years. He's not been building up the head of steam that he would have liked. You know, he could have been a lot further on in his career by now. He, he could have probably had this fight or, or earned it 
you know, back in 2015, 2016, uh, you know, when he started off his career so well. And that's the thing that worries me against someone who is as good as Patricky Pitbull. Um, you know, Pitbull is Pitbull is as good as you are going to face in Bellator, specifically in the lightweight division. If your name's not Michael Chandler, your, your money might be safe putting Pitbull as the number two lightweight in that division. He's so good. And the thing that sets him apart... It's not the fact that he's, you know, he's got great MMA wrestling. It's not the fact that he's nasty on the ground. It's the power in his hands. He's got frightening power in his hands. He puts one hand on you and you could be going to sleep. And that's the difference. He's, he's made the difference for him in all these these fights that he's had with, with the, these likes of Ryan Scopes. You know, he's up and comers and and people that are supposed to give him a, a test are supposed to be the new wave. He, he sent them all packing back to, you know, back to the start of the line again just because he's just got mad power and, and all the other qualities that he has as well and the experience of fighting at the highest level in MMA for a long, long time. And make no mistake about it, the lightweight division in Bellator has had some of the best lightweights in the world over the past five, ten years. You're talking the likes of your Michael Chandlers, you know, Primus who's been making waves in Bellator, even in his last fight that he lost to Chandler, he, he wasn't blown out of the water, he proved that he's a top lightweight, you had the likes of Eddie Alvarez fighting over at 155 in Bellator in the past, he was a champion there, they've got some great world class fighters over there at 155 and Pitbull's always been at the top of the pack, there or thereabouts, I just don't think Ryan Scope, as talented as he is, has enough about him to be able to whether the storm that Freire is going to put on him here. And I think that Pitbull probably picks up a second round TKO. Hurts me to say, really want to back Ryan Scope. I really do hope that he does it. I just think it's a bit too much too soon for him. And that's where I'm going to leave that one. And that leads us nicely into the UFC 234 card, which is in Melbourne, Australia. And I, tonight... Um, the card is, I'll be honest, for a, for a pay-per-view card and for the Australian crowd, I'd be a bit pissed if I was them. It's not great. There's just not an awful lot of, there's not an awful lot of big names on there, apart from when you get to the top two fights. But, having said that, let's have a look at the main card anyway. So, kicking off the main card... At middleweight, you've got Jim Crute against Sam Alvey. Jim Crute, I believe, is unbeaten. I'm sure Jim Crute's unbeaten. Is he 9-0 or 10-0? Let me just give him a little bit of a Google. Jim the Brute Crute. He is, uh, yeah, 9-0. So 9-0. Had a very impressive um, outing last time out is uh, what I believe was his USC debut against Andrew Craig. Andrew Craig's been there, done that, veteran of the sport, very savvy and very talented, has picked up some good wins in his career himself and Jim Crew, you know, got it done. So, submission in the third round, um, got Andrew Craig out of there, who's notoriously quite tough. But I think this is another step up, to be honest. Sam Alvey, Sam Alvey's one of them, he's... He's picked up very good wins in his career. You know, he's beat the likes of um, Cesar Ferreira, uh, Rashad Evans. He, he's beaten Nate Marquardt. But then he steps up against uh, 
some of the higher echelon of, of the division. So you're talking about the likes of Little Nog and Tyler Slates and, and Derek Brunson, you know, these 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 bigger names in the UFC at 185-205. And they're the fights that he struggles in. They're the fights that he gets knocked back. Sam Alvey, though, tough. Got a great chin on him. And I think he's just going to have too much here for Jim Crew. Maybe a little bit too much too early, um, like the last fight we were speaking about. And I think Sam Alvey will probably pick up a decision win here. I'm going to call it a 29-28. I just think Jim Crew will have his moments, but Sam Alvey will be able to weather the storm, draw on his experience and uh, get the job done. Next fight on the card, Montana De La Rosa against Nadia Kassem. Um, Montana De La Rosa. So, has picked up a couple of decent wins in the UFC um, against Marks and Ostovich, but... The losses on her record show you that she's, again, she's below the upper echelon of the division. So she's lost to Mackenzie Dern, obviously outside of the UFC. Cynthia Calvillo is another loss that's on her record. Meanwhile, Nadia Kassem, 5-0, unbeaten fighter, riding a wave of confidence coming into this fight. Good um, fight last time out as well. You know, picked up a very good win against Alex Chambers. I think Nadia Kassem picks up a decision victory here. I think unanimous decision victory. Montana De La Rosa is good. I just don't think she's on Nadia Kassem's level. I think Nadia Kassem is a genuine prospect in that division. I think she'll she'll beat De La Rosa and then you know she should call out for for a bigger fight in the in the division basically and um, one of the top ten uh, at least definitely. And you're gonna get a fight like that at that division. Um, because there's just not a lot of top names in the top 10. Outside of the uh, top three, top four, it gets a bit tricky. So expect Nadia Kassem to pick up a decision win here at the very least and then go on to a top 10 fight afterwards and, and start to build her her way up to get into the top of the division, those, those top two, three, four names. Next fight on the card, Ricky Simon against Hani Yaya. Hani Yaya, I've always been a big fan of Hani Yaya. He's um, a very entertaining fighter. This one... I think we'll come down to experience again. You know, Ricky Simon, decent fighter, 14-1. and one. He's picked up uh, decent wins against Montel Jackson in his career. Chico Camus, Chico Camus, you may remember if you're a UK fan, Chico Camus not so long ago was fighting Brad Pickett at 125 in the UFC a good few years ago. Good, You know, good wins against savvy veterans. Hani Ayado has, has been there, done it, he's picked up. Brilliant wins recently against, you know, um, Briones, Russell Dwayne, uh, Sanders was a good win. Uh, I just think Hani Yaya's got too many tools and he's too good. I, I'm i going to say that Hani Yaya picks up a second round submission in this one. Ricky Simon is an interesting prospect. Hani Yaya's just been there and done it and he's beaten better opponents. And that's all I've got to say on that one. Which brings us on to the co-main event of the evening. So this is the point where Australian civilians will get their money's worth, whether you've paid to watch the fight, whether you get on TV over there, or whether you've actually gone to go to see the fight in the stadium. So Israel Adesanya against Anderson Silva. All I've seen with this one is that this is a passing of the torch that Anderson Silva's facing his clone, that Anderson Silva's done, he's too old, he's past it now, that Israel Adesanya is his, you know, he's, it's the, re- the rebirth of Anderson Silva and he's about to take over the division. I'm not disputing any of that. Israel Adesanya is on a fantastic run. 
in the UFC. He's looked unbelievable in his UFC run. And in his last fight against Derek Brunson, blowing him out of the water like he did in the first round was hella impressive. But Anderson Silva is still one of the greatest counter-strikers. One of the greatest strikers, period. But one of the greatest counter-strikers in UFC history. I know he's lost a step. I know he's he's 41 or 42 now. And he's he's passed his best. But he still has enough about him to be able to hurt Israel Adesanya here. And this is the question. It's what kind of fighters turn up. Are we finally going to get to see Anderson Silva look his age? Has he still got enough about him to be able to hurt Israel like I think he can? You know, Israel's shown a lot of respect to Anderson in the lead-up to his fight. Is he going to continue to show too much respect to Anderson in the fight? Or is he going to go after him? If he goes after him, is he going to be taking risks that Anderson can take advantage of? You know, we've seen it in the past, and I know Anderson was in his prime back then, but we've seen it in the past. When fighters try to be aggressive against Anderson, it does not work out well. And they end up looking up at the lights with a referee slash doctor waving a torch in their eyes afterwards going, what the fuck happened? Because Anderson Silva's that good. He's a sniper. He is a sniper. And he's a world-class kickboxer. World-class Muay Thai. And even better boxing. Everyone sleeps on his boxing and how good his hands are. And he, he's at his best when opponents are trying to come at him and he can counter them. And if... I think if Israel gets reckless, he could end up getting knocked out here. And I, I, I've not heard too many people say that. And I 100% believe that Anderson has enough in the tank to stop Israel here if Israel doesn't stick to a smart game plan. Now, having said that, all the physical advantages are with Israel. He's got youth on his side. He's got confidence... Get that word out right, Chris. Confidence. He's got confidence on his side. He's, at this point in their careers, the most skillful fighter. He's got more tools in his arsenal. He's got a very extensive kickboxing background himself. So in terms of pure striking credentials, he's better. He's better on paper. He's arguably better in the cage as well. Um, with MMA striking, he's just looked very, very impressive in his UFC run especially. And if he plays this one smart, if he's aggressive in a calculated way, he will get Anderson Silva out of there and I think he will finish him. My head is telling me Israel Adesanya finishes this in two rounds, in less than two rounds. My heart is telling me that Israel's going to be reckless and Anderson's going to roll back the clock one last time and knock him out. I really don't know what to pick with this one. It's just too close to call. I've not decided which side that I sit on yet, but it's going to be fireworks either way. It, you're going to be enjoying a very, very, very entertaining fight. So... Just tune in and enjoy. Living legend, Anderson Silva. Future legend, Israel Adesanya. What a fucking fight. I can't wait. We're literally hours away from it now. Best fight of the card so far. By far. And that brings us on to the main event. So, Robert Whittaker, the um, Oceanic Hero, and Kelvin Gastelum. Interesting style... Interesting stylistic matchup. For me... Kelvin's always going to have the same problems at middleweight. He's just too small for the weight class. He should be more disciplined and he should be cutting down to welterweight because that is his true weight class. However, he's been performing well enough at middleweight, so he's picked up the wins necessary to get the title fight here. 
You've seen when he's faced bigger guys, you know, have a look at his Chris Wyman fight, for example. When he starts getting those guys, it gets tough for him because it's not just it's not just his skills that are carrying him anymore. Kelvin Gastelum is extremely skilled. He's so talented. It's, it's unreal. But when he comes against guys who have that same level of talent, those same skill levels, and they're bigger than him, that's when the troubles are starting to arise. But having said that, if there's a perfect stylistic matchup for him at middleweight, it is Rob Whitaker. Because Rob Whitaker, roughly the same, same height, same size, same weight. And I just think their styles match up very, very well for each other. I think they're both a very good fight for each other, if that makes sense. So from Kelvin's perspective, Kelvin's got a uh, very underrated, very unheralded wrestling game. And what sets him aside on the feet is his boxing ability and how quick he is, how quick he is and how powerful he is. And I don't even necessarily believe that Kelvin is like a one-punch knockout artist, although we have seen That sounds like a stupid thing to say. Although we have seen him knock people out dead. I think it's the speed that shocks people as much as it does. He's so fast. He could be the fastest at middleweight. His hand speed is frightening. The, the, the knockout over Bispin was... It was gnarly because it, it was the fact that he, he lent just outside of distance and then was able to get in at the speed that he did to land, you know, the, the, the overhand and, and put Bispin out on, on his feet, basically. It wasn't too dissimilar to, to the Dan Henderson knockout, I didn't think, in terms of how difficult it was to watch and how flush a connection it was. And that's what you get with Kelvin. Really, really good, very unheralded on the ground, great wrestling ability and fantastically fast hands that just stun you just stun opponents. You see opponents looking confused in there sometimes when they're facing Kelvin, like, oh my God, how fucking fast is this guy? But Rob Whitaker, also very, very fast. Relentless, relentless, relentless pace. Very strange striking. You know, he, he comes from, I believe he comes from a karate background. Um, either that or I've just made that up. So his stance is very interesting. He has very low hands all the time. His, his jab almost comes from from his hips. He, he keeps his hands that low. But because of his head movement, his footwork, and just how fast his hands are as well, he gets away with it, and he gets away with it very well. He's he's not really known for his offensive wrestling, but his takedown defence is phenomenal. He saw the two fights against Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero is an Olympian. Cuban, went for the Cuban wrestling system, as good as you can get, and he struggled mightily to get Rob Whitaker down to the ground. And Rob Whitaker, Rob Whitaker had one leg in one of those fights. That's how good Whitaker's takedown defence is. So I don't think, as good as Kelvin's wrestling is, I don't think he's going to have the ability to get Rob down unless he stuns him. So you're talking about a pure stand-up fight, and it is literally going to be Rob Whitaker's kickboxing against Kelvin Gastelum's boxing. Kelvin doesn't throw too many kicks. It's difficult to call. It really is thinking about it now, and I ha- this is another one I've I've sort of flip flop back and forth. It, it's the hand speed I think that sets Kelvin aside. But I think Rob has more tools on the feet than Kelvin. Um, he, he uses he uses all four limbs. You know, nasty elbows, nasty knees, great kicks, sets up his hands very well. Has a great understanding of range um, and where his head needs to be to avoid getting hit and then to, to, to be getting back in there to land his counters. I think not too dissimilar from the last fight, if, if Rob Whitaker can, can be patient enough, if he doesn't leave himself 
you know, within Kelvin's distance to, to be able to be to be counterpunched because that's Kelvin's forte at the end of the day. He, he's a very good counterpuncher because of the speed that he possesses. I think you see Rob Whitaker pick up a decision win. I'm going to say either a 49-46 or a 48-47. I think it's going to be a very tightly contested fight. I think both of them might even hurt each other at least once. I can see Kelvin dropping Rob. I can see Rob dropping Kelvin. I think it's going to be a super competitive fight. I think you'll see these two face each other again down the line. Um, maybe not as close as, as the Yoel Romero fights, I don't think, but I, I think Rob Whitaker gets it done and I think it's a very close decision win. More tools in his arsenal. I don't think Kelvin's going to be able to get him down to the ground if things get a bit hectic on the feet. And I think they're going to be his, his keys to victory. Just a, a more well-rounded stand-up attack and just being patient and smart, basically, with his approach, not being too aggressive. And that is that. That's that for this week's podcast. And I say this week's podcast, but tomorrow we'll have another one where I'll be going over all of the news stories over the last couple of weeks, of which there are a plenty. And then going over some of the events that are coming up, um, as some of you may or may not know, Nong Ho Han, uh, Nong Ho rather versus Han is next weekend at Clash of Legends, uh, the Super Series Bantamweight Muay Thai Championship fight at the, uh, it's in Bangkok, I think, and that's for one championship. So that'll be happening on the 16th of Feb. Also on the 17th of February, you've got Francis Ngannou and Cain Velasquez. That is going to be chaos. And that's a, and also a very good fight card. Um, you've got Henry Barrow on that card. Uh, Jimmy Rivera is back. He's fighting Aljamain Sterling on that one. Uh, James Vick and Paul Felder on that card. Um, Andre Feely's on that card. I think he's facing Miles Jory. That's going to be a hell of a fight at Featherweight. You know, some really, really good fights in that card, but very, very good ESPN card that he put together for that. And also, arguably the biggest one next weekend, Michael Venom Page and Paul Daly. Oh my goodness, that is going to be crazy. I've been looking forward to that one for a long time. The UK fans have been looking forward to that one for a long time. That is on the 16th of February, and it's going to be the first of the Bellator cards that are going to be aired on Sky Sports. Can you believe it? We've gone legit, MMA fans. In the UK, we have gone legit. We are now on Sky Sports. UFC on ESPN, Bellator on Sky Sports. What a time to be alive. Just further legitimises the sport. You know, I'll, I'll go into it a little bit more tomorrow's podcast when we go over the news stories because it is a major news story, is that, that deal. Um, I think it's a 25 deal on Sky Sports to see how well guessing the ratings do which i'm gonna say are gonna do very well specifically if they're putting fights on there like mvp and paul daly but you know 10 years ago we were we were having to, to look for links on the internet and all sorts of shite to to watch the fights and the fighters that we loved and now it's easier than ever to watch the big mma fights and it's easier than ever to 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 follow the stars that we all love you know it's it's even the fact that it's in the same weekend, you know, ESPN are putting on Francis and Garneau and Kane, and then Sky Sports have got MVP and Paul Daly. It's just, I can't say enough things about it. I'm so excited. I followed the sport for such a long time, and for us to be where we are now is incredible. I, I just never thought we'd get this big. So, uh, I'm getting quite emotional. <laughs> it's such a happy time. Um, it, it, seriously though, it just legitimizes us as for a long time we've we've been attacked, you know, particularly by the other martial arts, boxing, etc., saying that we're just a bunch of thugs in cages and and everyone who likes MMA, you know, you just love cockfighting or rest of it. But 
We know it's not that. We know how skilled the fighters are. We know that we're the best sport in the world. And now people are starting to, to recognise and get on board with it. And that's thanks to, obviously, your Ronda Rousey's and your Conor McGregor's and these trendsetters, but all the other men and women who are putting lives and limbs on, on the line to, to entertain us in these fights. And next weekend's a, a, a big weekend of fights again. Um, can't wait to break that one down for you all tomorrow and go over all the crazy news that's in the fight world at the moment. So before I waffle on anymore, that is it from me for this Saturday podcast. I'm going to put it up immediately so you can try and listen to it before the fights tonight if not you can watch the fights and then listen to me tomorrow and you can see how amazing i am and how right i was about everything jokes i'm usually wrong but that's the crazy thing about mma you just don't know how things are going to go there's so many different ways to win or lose isn't there and that's why we love it and on that note i am chris collins it has been lovely hosting the podcast for you all on this saturday afternoon in february i am over and I will speak to you soon.